0: Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Mr. Wolf, do you know Gilbert and Sullivan? No, sir. I have not had a chance to meet all the new crew members since I have been back. The composers, Wolf. From the 19th century. Okay, I gotta chime in here, which I never do, but. Worf knows Klingon opera. Come on, Picard. Data was rehearsing a production of HMS Pinafore just before he left. A British tar is a soaring soul As free as a mountain bird His energetic fist should be ready to resist A dictatorial word Sing, Worf, sing. His nose should pant And his lips should curl His cheeks should flame And his brow should furl His bosom should heave And his heart should glow And his fist be ever ready For a knockdown blow His nose should pant And his lips should curl His cheeks should flame And his brow should furl His bosom should heave And his heart should glow And his fist be ever ready For a knockdown blow Prepare the doggy clap. His eyes should flash with an inborn fire, his brow with scorn be wrung. He never should bow down to a domineering frown, or the the tang tang of a tyrant tongue. tongue. His heart should stump, and his throat should growl. His hair should curl, and his face should scowl. His eyes should flash, and his breast protrude. And this should should be his customary attitude.
1: attitude.
0: Oh, there's nothing quite like an old British tar. No, not that pesky Armis who took Lieutenant Yar from us far too soon. I mean that little ditty from Data's favorite score. It has been reported that it was Patrick Stewart who suggested the reference to HMS Pinafore in Star Trek IX's Insurrection, rather than the originally scripted reference to King Lear. We are all, no doubt, grateful for his suggestion. Good glorious day, folks. Welcome to this week's episode of Science Factual. I'm your host, Lieutenant Commander Reese Hendrick, coming in via subspace to bring you Star Trek The Next Generation, Part 2. The first part to this series is Episode 2, which you can find on Mixcloud through the Shady Pines radio app or on Spotify by searching for Science Factual. Speaking of Part 1 of this series, we're going to build upon the foundation of the show covered in that episode with a deeper dive into the individual main characters as well as a look in particular at one of my favorite characters and the movies for our water cooler fact. We also have a return guest, Chris Hudson, from that part one episode, as well as local comedian Maricha Halprich. We sat down before Chris's mic at Captain Ankeny's in downtown Portland and got to talking The Next Generation. But for now, let's see what's out there.
1: Engage.
0: Engage. I've lost contact, sir. What? Oh, yeah, hey, Captain Picard, we actually need to issue out a spoiler alert before leaving space talk on this one. (laughs) Standard procedure. Engage. Okay, then. Someone's a little pushy today. Geez. Didn't get his... T.L. Gray hot. I guess. Well, here you go, folks. It's a priority message from Starfleet. It's a... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Now, let's dive into the actors and characters we all know and love shall we engage yes i know gosh i heard you the third time geez with this guy getting started on the characters you know we have to start with captain picard uh, we can do an entire episode on John luc Picard on his own, not to mention the potential for doing a Ready Room episode where we deep dive into the psych profiles and actions of Starfleet's most infamous captains. John Luke was a born and bred Starfleet captain, never marrying and hardly affording himself life's pleasures, settling instead for the rigidity of duty and obligation that Starfleet seems to thrive on. Originally a stage actor, Sir Patrick Stewart was a classically trained actor who was tapped for the role because of his air. Which makes sense, as Jean-Luc Picard does hold an air of assured authority. In real life, however, Patrick Stewart didn't have much faith in the show to start with, being quoted as living half out of his suitcase for the first couple months of filming, anticipating on a daily basis for the show to get the axe before really getting off the ground. Up next, we have Commander Riker, played by Jonathan Frakes, who was instrumental throughout the show, directing dozens of episodes and having a hand in directing both movies and episodes of the newer series of Picard. We first see Riker's iconic beard in Season 2, Episode 1, but I personally like that button chin of his. During a long pause between seasons 1 and 2 due to a writer's strike, Frakes grew out his iconic beard and by the time filming began for season 2, Frakes decided to just go on set as Riker with his now iconic beard. Deanna Troy, but we'll get to her in a second. Riker consistently gives up the captain's chair in favor of remaining in the number one position aboard the Enterprise. I always thought there was primo territory for a Terran version of Riker to cross over and bring about Picard's demise finally elevating him to the captaincy of the Enterprise-D, or at least his transporter clone Tom Riker, but we don't see him again until a DS9 plot involving the Maquis. It's also interesting to note that Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes are the only two actors that appear in all 178 episodes and every movie regarding the TNG timeframe. That brings us to Lieutenant Commander Jordy LaForge, actor LeVar Burton was constantly in pain when filming due to the visor he had to wear, which coincidentally was a feature experienced by the character. One trait they didn't share on screen was that Burton was constantly bumping into things on set due to the vision impairment caused by the visor, which ironically was the only way his character could see. Speaking of the visor, the average person experiences a visual range limited by the color spectrum. Typically, the human eye can detect wavelengths from 380 to 700 nanometers. Jordy, however, can see in ranges spanning from the UV to infrared, and much farther than the average person, which comes in handy multiple times throughout the series. That brings us to Jordy's best friend, Lieutenant Commander Data, and Data is the way we all know how to pronounce our favorite android's name, but it was meant to be pronounced Data instead. And during initial readings, Patrick Stewart used the traditional British pronunciation of the name, where Roddenberry intended for it to be pronounced with an American accent. This comes up again with Dr. Pulaski and Data in Season 2, Episode 1, with the pronunciation of his name. Data's identical brother, Lore, was actually meant to be a woman, and boy would I wouldn't give to have seen Brent Spiner dressed up as a woman. Data's father, Dr. Noonien Sung, was a cyberneticist whose obsession was to make Asimov's dream of the positronic brain a reality. This concept is extrapolated upon for the first time in Season 1, Episode 12, where we are first introduced to Data's brother, Lore. American sci-fi author Isaac Asimov first introduces the idea of a positronic, or mimic brain, in the robot novel and short story series, starting with the famous iRobot, as well as Bicentennial Man featuring one of my favorite Dunnits, The Naked Sun, and wrapped up with Robots and Empire. We all love Data's cat Spot, or at least I do. I'm a cat dad. But that wasn't always the case with Spot and Briner. See, he reportedly had no love for his beloved Spot on film, and didn't think he was a good boy at all. Which is a shame, and hurts me a little, as a cat dad. Now you know that brings us to Lieutenant Tasha Yar, is played by the talented denise crosby unfortunately tasha yar has a pretty rough go of it as far as characters go in tng born on a planet wrought with poverty and unspeakable criminals roaming the street yar survived severe conditions going on to find starfleet and subsequently a home for her to thrive in the security forces division yar meets her untimely death while encountering the entity armis in season one episode 22 skin of evil but that doesn't mean that crosby wouldn't be featured in future episodes Some dealing with time travel, some dealing with cross-species relations that were rare for the time frame. Most notably is Romulan Commander Sela as the offspring of a since time traveled Yar and a Romulan officer, breeding a character who very much looks like Yar, but is the antithesis of everything she stands for. Also, she and Data totally doinked, so there's that. Watch season 1, episode 3 for a more detailed encounter. Up next, we have Counselor Deanna Troy, who's played by Marina Sirtis, who can be seen in every TNG-based movie and in episodes of Voyager and Picard as well. Troy is the half-human, half-betazoid counselor and level head of the Enterprise. Her on-show mother, Loxana Troy, was played by Majel Barrett, who we see uh, first in season one, episode 10, Haven. Barrett was the wife of show creator Gene Roddenberry, who we get into during the first episode of Science Factual, and we will certainly be getting into again. I think it's interesting to note that Loxana's assistant, Mr. Holm, played by Carl Stryken, uh, who also was featured in shows such as Twin Peaks and other great sci-fi series we will most certainly have an episode about, and uh, as Lurch in the Adams Family movie, the classic. Uh, as an aside, he is a fellow Dutchman, being from The Hague where my family hails from further in the north from Kroningen. So, cool to see them out there. And speaking of seeing them out there, uh, Deanna Troy was supposed to have three breasts. So, I'm certain that Rick Berman had something to do with that decision, and they were like, No, Rick. You can't just make aliens have three breasts just because you want to. I personally think that three is a crowd, so I'm glad that they ultimately decided to spare not only Marina Sirtis the Prosthetic, but the rest of us at the Thanksgiving table discussion uh, just about how much better life would be with three breasts. I guarantee you that my brother Will would be firmly in that camp. Now time for one of my personal favorite characters. We've got Lieutenant Worf. Son of Moog, who is a Klingon played by Michael Dorn in not only The Next Generation and all subsequent movies, but in Deep Space Nine, and as well as a pivotal character with an awesome story arc, I mean, he got to marry the magnificent Jadzia Dax, but that's for another episode. Worf's forehead prosthetic changed from Season 1 to Season 2 due to a theft that went unsolved, and that wouldn't be the only thefts on set of note. Worf's baldric or Ceremonial Sash, was also stolen, a prop that was revived from the original series and was worn by Klingons during those episodes. This is why Worf's sash changes from the first season to the second, and not again until his addition to the House of Martok in DS9. Worf is one of two major characters to make it over from one show to the next, with both Michael Dorn and Cole Meany as Chief O'Brien making it over to DS9, Not to mention uh, Keiko O'Brien as well. That brings us to Dr. Beverly Crusher, played by Gates McFadden. Uh, She played Crusher through season one, and after her departure, Patrick Stewart was particularly vocal about her return after being replaced by Dr. Pulaski, played by Diana Mulder, for just the second season. The reason for McFadden's initial departure was attributed to disputes, quote-unquote, between her and the writing staff. Aside from her brief respite from the role, she returned to play Dr. Beverly Crusher in every other season and movie involving the crew of the Enterprise D&E. This was to the joy of many fans who found Pulaski cold and lacking in quote Benside manner, especially when dealing with Data, who, in my opinion, is just as human as you and me. Now you know we can't talk Beverly Crusher without talking about acting Ensign Wesley Crusher, played by Will Wheaton. The budget for the first few seasons was lacking, to say the least. In fact, they were so low-budgeted that Wesley Crusher actor Will Wheaton was offered a promotion, quote-unquote, to lieutenant instead of a pay raise, which he declined, to which they responded, Shut up, Wesley! Wesley actually ended up having a fairly interesting story arc, tying back in the first season character of The Traveler. We see Wesley's story take a sharp turn away from the path to Starfleet he was being groomed for, and that he ultimately became disillusioned with, and into the tutelage of the Traveler, the character from Tau Seti who was involved in the incredible engine behaviors experienced by the Enterprise D crew in Season 1, Episode 6, Where No One Has Gone Before. Speaking of the Enterprise crew going places where they shouldn't necessarily be going quite yet, you know we have to talk about Q. No, not Anon, not the Shaman, But, well, I guess you could call him a spiritual guide of sorts. He definitely likes to put reality in your face. Or at least his version of it. Brilliantly played by John Delancey, Q is an omnipotent being, part of the Q continuum, who has been tasked with observing and ultimately influencing mankind throughout pivotal points in history. Q is likely the largest framing device throughout the entire series, but does not make a single appearance or is made reference to in any of the movies, which I found a bit refreshing it allowed the films to stand out on their own and separate from the series. If Q had been involved, the movies would have just seemed like longer episodes, and with the relative conclusion of Q's direct involvement with the crew of the Enterprise during All Good Things Parts 1 and 2, it makes sense that we don't see him again until Picard Season 2. That's not to say that Q doesn't show up in other contemporary Star Trek. He bothers cisco on ds9 just the once and pesters janeway frequently during her homeward bound trip in the voyager series suffice to say that regardless of q's involvement in picard's life he does hold admiration for the captain and continues to have a vested interest in his development up next we have an awesome interview with the very funny maritza Halperich and return guest chris hudson We met up before Chris's open mic on Wednesdays at Captain Ankeny's Pizza in downtown Portland. For more info on that, please visit laughspdx.com under the mics page for location and timing. We all got to chat about the next generation and what it means to us, so enjoy. And please, pardon our static. Well, uh, we're, we're here at Captain Ankeny's. Yeah. Pizza.
2: You said it like Captain Crunch, Captain.
0: Captain. Well, I, you know, I, I hesitate to call him Captain in the formal because Maricia and I were just wondering what what did he do to get dishonorably discharged from the Navy in order to have to like disgraceful, in disgrace, come to Portland and start a pizza pizza place.
2: It's pizza. Yeah.
0: They do. They have a case with pizza slices in it. Three yes. slices. Okay. So that's a. There's your qualifier. Yes. Uh, Well, I'm here with the uh, uh, host of the mic that's soon to take place here, Chris Hudson. You'll remember him from Episode 2, Part 1. T.L. gray Hot Of Star Trek The Next Generation, which is what we're here to talk about with Marisha Hopridge.
3: Yep. Did I do that? You got it. Nice. Okay.
0: I've been practicing it. Oh,
3: wow.
0: Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Everybody's... Everybody loves it. Everybody wants to talk about it, wants to hear about it, that's why we're here. Um, before we get started, though, uh, Maricha, what is your uh, Instagram?
3: Oh, it's my what name, it Maricha Hoffridge.
0: You're going to have to spell that. Yep. Out. Yeah, you're definitely going to have to spell that one out. Yeah. Uh,
3: M-A-R-I-E-T-J-E-H-A-U-P-R-I-C-H. Marietja Yeah.
0: I'll be sure to play that back in half speed yeah, yeah slow mo. Might like, be
3: easier yeah, to just paste it somewhere. <laughs> no, I won't. Yeah. You... <laughs> I'll,
0: I'll be sure to to put it in the in the footnotes. Um, slow mo. You're uh, you you equally have a weird. Yeah. Yeah. Crease?
2: Yeah, yeah, crease. Uh Yeah, C H R I E E S mm-hmm. is my Instagram handle. C H. Just it's just that C H R I E E S Crease. When I made an Instagram, I couldn't think of anything, but I was like. I could do this cuz Chris obviously yeah, is taken. Right. At Chris. Wait, somebody
0: yeah. already took Chris. <laughs> yeah. Another Chris. Believe it or not. The, I I don't know. I might have to investigate that. Uh, I, I think that's I think you're just being lazy. Could be that
2: too. <laughs> <laughs> Easily. Um
0: So, Marita, how did you get your start in stand-up? Like what, what drew you to stand-up comedy?
3: Oh, uh, well, I wanted to to do it for a long time. Um, I mean, I, I, I loved watching it. I grew up, you know, we only I could only get uh, NBC in my room, so I would watch, you know, Conan and, and Jay Leno every night. I always loved it, and yeah, Sounds eventually. yeah, like a very rough childhood. Yeah, yeah. You can, only get, you can
0: only get two of the major five networks that were available directly <laughs> to your room as a child. I...
3: Well, as a teenager, not as a child. I didn't have my own TV as a child. But, yeah, as a teenager, watched, watched a whole lot of that. Loved it. Started watching more of it as I got older. And then, yeah, wanted to do it, but slowly, slowly got up the courage to do it. Nice. And then did it. <laughs> so nice.
0: here we go. so when, when did you first go up? Um,
3: 2019.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool beans. Yeah,
3: I had done improv for a little while before that to, like... My, my goal was always to do stand up I was like oh if I do improv I can be comfortable on stage like so, like baby steps and progressing well, it's, it's a, it. yeah it's
0: a good vehicle towards stand up mm-hmm. you know like uh, for sure I, I would say that I would say it's a one way street I don't know if you want to start off in comedy and then go into improv uh, although, although I mean I'm a yes and fan mm-hmm.
1: so, improv's fun yeah improv's super fun
0: uh, there's, there's just like not the pull that it used to have, you know, like in, in the the good old Who's Lines in Any Way days. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. people are clamoring to see Ryan Styles and Wayne Bra- Wayne Brady do the. May-may. Although
3: the Funhouse Lounge here in Portland does do improvised Star Trek: The Next Generation, the USS once improvised a year. yeah, oh, which yes. is a ton of fun to watch. Is it already over? Yeah, I think they only do it for.
0: I think I want to
3: say it's like December or January, but they only do it for a few weeks. Yeah, later. I really wanted to
0: go. I didn't it's have the so opportunity fun. to, but um, they should they should start a um, Patreon and have those. Uh, they should have those filmed and, and put on there. That'd be awesome. Mm,
3: yeah.
0: I never asked you this, Chris. How did you get started in Santa? Uh, Because the questions have evolved since the second Oh, okay. The production value has increased significantly. Really? (laughs) Even more more Star Trek sound effects? I might, you know, I I have downloaded a whole pack. I've got a Mm -hmm. pack. I'm going to use it. Mm -hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Lots of phaser sounds. Nice. Shots fired. (laughs) 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 Anytime shots are fired. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah, Don't worry, it'll be set
2: to stuff. Oh, yeah, no. I brought up sound effects specifically because I know in editing, you will now have to go back and add a bunch of sound effects. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I like creating
0: work for yeah. people. You did this to me last <laughs> I time. I did. <laughs> Bringing it back to the question, to the, when, when did you start comedy?
2: I started in, uh, I think I started doing paid spots in like 2012. Okay. I, I started doing like paid shows Uh, but like late 2011, I was like dabbling in it. Uh, and then, you know, just kind of took off from there. Had a lot of highs, had a lot of lows. You know how stand-up goes. That's, that, that rhymed. That's so true.
3: I got a Brent Spiner cameo for my birthday last year. Solid. Oh. I've,
0: seen a, I've seen a couple John DeLanceys.
2: <laughs> what did the What did the Brent Spiner cameo, what was that consisted yeah, yeah. of? Yeah, yeah, yeah you got to tell us. You can't yeah, just, yeah, like, uh, he was uh, hanging on Brent
3: Yeah, Spiner. no, it was just kind of a happy birthday thing. Um, a few other uh, of my friends, a lot of the other comics on the scene, like, all pitched in and got it for me. It was a very nice gift. But, yeah, he nice. basically just said, like, hey, happy birthday. I hear you're a Star Trek fan. That's cool. He just Excite. kind of. Rambled oh. on for a minute. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, he doesn't really have any
0: tags. Tags like he he can't be like engaged, you know, like right. Yeah, so, right. Did, but did he did he say did he mention spot? Did he talk about spot?
3: So. Um, no, he didn't talk about spot at all. I don't think that they put my my love of cats in the uh, in the like info because like you no, fill I out think, a little bit right. of info yeah, about the person. Questionnaire or yeah, and it, yeah, they just kind of said she loves data. Yeah. She talks about data in her act <laughs> or whatever. So,
0: oh what's your bit about data
3: oh it's it's very brief it's just you can see what that he I, was see what I just said. he was my first crush as a child my first crush ever data so. good taste right here a
0: handsome
2: man <laughs> so you must really like that episode where he gets a human girlfriend
0: mm.
3: yeah <laughs> oh to be, uh, to, yeah, be that gosh.
0: One. to be a subroutine yeah but he wrote it specifically for you, which is sweet.
3: Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. nice. Data. Yeah.
0: So, so your favorite. That brings me to my next question. Uh, who is your your favorite character? Is Data?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like start. I'm. Thirty-four. So when Star Trek was, on, I grew up like watching it as a little kid, and it was kind of on before I understood what was happening sure. on it. Um, and then like kind of slowly started understanding it good. more as I got older. But then when Netflix came out, I like binged the whole thing as an adult, and then I still love Data because yeah, I liked Data as a kid because I was like, ooh, it's that hot pale man. <laughs> but, yeah. As an adult, I was like, oh, I actually really like, I like, uh, yeah, I like that character. Some
0: of the most poignant episodes. Deal with data, you know, sovereignty incentives exactly. and things like that. And like, you know, when he creates law, we didn't talk too much about law last time.
2: No, um, I think we briefly mentioned
0: law. Uh, but yeah, you know, the I did rewatch
2: there. that episode recently.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's it's definitely interesting. Like, you know, because I also did last week, uh, ex machina with Hunter Austin, and that deals with like this is basically the same thing, like, what, you know, how, how should AI be considered, you know, to, because I think it's going to be our downfall, you know, like, the, the likelihood, like the Picard uh, series, thank you, Yeah. Uh, you know, definitely, uh, I think it hits it more on the head with what could go, what could and likely would go wrong. Right. But we'll get into the feasibility of the United Federation of Planets, like, in its entirety in a little bit, even, so...
3: What, who are your
0: favorites? You guys can be in the of Uh, it's, it,
2: like, really my, I'm split between, I'm split between uh, Picard and Worf. Mm. I like them both for, I think, similar reasons. Well, Picard is Worf's chadich. Yeah, they're both, yes, they're. there's that. They do have a, they do have a, uh, strangely symbiotic relationship, Picard and Worf. Yeah, yeah Like yeah. I think Picard is the only human that Worf is, like...
0: You're, down with. Him. Yeah. Well, they have their riff, but Riker, too. Like, he's in a... He, he, he likes...
2: Yeah, but Riker... I think, I think Riker... Uh, Riker tries to joke with Worf too much, I think, for Worf's liking. Mm. Uh, it seems like... But Riker enjoys that. Like, right. Riker jokes around right. with everybody. You know, he's always trying to charm the ladies. I mean, obviously... Always. I mean, obviously, Riker was a, a huge uh, male role model for me. Uh, you obviously. know, I was like, oh, wow, all I have to do is play uh, trombone, and I will...
0: <laughs> and you will I... trombone.
2: I will, yeah. I think Worf thinks Picard is closer to being like a Klingon than any of the other humans on
0: I would agree with that for sure. Yeah, Enterprise. He, he has that demeanor. He, ha- he's, um, he has two penises. you know. Uh, that, <laughs> I, I mean, that is conjecture around the lower decks, but like... <laughs> yeah, I I think it's true. I don't personally. I don't know how card sits down with balls so huge. Um, but I digress. Now I, uh, I I dig Worf too. Um, I like that he's. Uh, if they could have shoehorned him into Voyager 2 I would have liked that. You know, like because <laughs> they, they got him in DS9, and that was uh, that was great. He's a great father, great role model. <laughs> No. No. <laughs> Sorry, you both are nodding your head like <laughs> He tries
3: he tries. Alexander has has some problems. Yes. <laughs> yeah. he, do those come out more in Deep Space Nine? Yeah, he's more grown up than that. Yes. I, yeah. I always get that storyline mixed up on the show.
0: But yeah, an hour. yeah well, well we'll definitely be doing a DS9 episode for sure, but I wanna get uh I wanna get the Joes in on that. Uh from your mic, Growlers. Oh uh, yeah, Star they Trek. love Star Trek, yeah. yeah. In fact the first time I met Tall Joe. I, that's how I differentiate them by size. That's how I do a lot of things, being the tall person, mm. or rather a heightist. But um, yeah, it, he uh, he had a he had three ships out. One was the modified Delta flyer. The other was the Borg's Queen ship, and then the other was a, a, a military Borg cube. Uh, or militarized war cube, and I got all to but the queen ship. And uh, he was like, You know, what, I'll give you a beer anyway. Oh, because I said modify Delta Flyer, and, and it takes a keen eye, a, a developed nerd eye to pin those mods. <laughs> yeah, maybe
3: Star Trek trivia there. I have I know, not I gone, don't. I feel I like, it's gonna, to it so hard. Hard. like <laughs> it's gonna be too uh, like yeah, so hard. I don't intimate. want to
0: embarrass myself, I know exactly because you know? yeah. Yeah. I've seen it too many times to not know, but like.
3: Right, but it's Man. hard. There's like a hundred hours of episodes. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In I've got a More lot of. That, yeah. I've got a
0: lot of other useless oh knowledge from God. other shows and books and stuff. Which, speaking of which, announcement: uh, the first book that we're going to be doing on Science Factual and doing with Jamie Carbone yeah, is the uh, uh, The Gods Themselves by Isaac Asimov. So I'm looking oh. forward to that. I, I traded it off to him at Kelly's Olympian yeah, on Sunday, and we'll be doing that in a couple of weeks. So I'm excited about that. Um, yeah. Because it's hard to get people to read, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Overall, like, story, editing, and ability of the show, I, I think that it's really well written. What, what is your favorite episode? Um, or episodes? Yeah. Because we'll do, I'll ask that question the same for the movies in a minute, but...
3: Yeah, yeah. um, I... Like, uh, I like Measure of a Man, that one where they debate if data, you know, has a soul, basically. I, I guess that gets into what you were just talking about, of the, like, you know, as technology advances, like, at what point does it stop being, like, a machine, and, like, do we have to start considering, you know, if it's sentient or, like, should have rights or, you know, that kind of thing, is, like, when that has to be considered. And, yeah, I, I like that episode, I feel like. A lot of Star Trek, like you just said,
0: like, holds up, like the themes and questions and stuff that are raised are still Well, that episode relevant. in particular is with Bruce Maddox, that whole arc into the Picard series. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the that's the whole, they made a they did a whole spin-off on that idea alone. Right. I mean, I think it's an incredibly poignant episode. It, 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 it's incredible how they tie in so many ideas, and then across so many series, because the board are present. I don't think they're so present in DS9.
1: No, um, other, other, other than the intro, idea, like the Wolf, or Wolf Five Nine,
0: uh, Wolf Three Five Nine uh, connection mm-hmm. between Cisco and Picard. But um, what, what's, what's your favorite episode? We we went over this last time, but it could change.
2: I think we did. Yeah, we did. We did go over it last time, um, but I have been watch, I have been watching it a lot recently um, because of the uh, Star Trek channel on Pluto TV, mm. not to give them free advertising. But, uh.
0: Who knows? Good plug.
2: But before I answer, you brought up something interesting because you said that Star Trek Next Generation came out during the era of uh, three camera sitcoms. If you added a laugh track to Next Generation, it is a very funny show. It doesn't have a laugh track, but there are funny moments in the show. It has some very funny moments in the show. And sometimes they'll do a little. do a little orchestra. Like a little... Yeah, yeah, a a little orchestra, you know, to where a laugh track would be. Yeah. But you could easily put a laugh track in Next Generation.
0: Well, speaking of data, he has some great lines where, like, he'll say a line and then, you know, pan to whoever he just, like, dropped that knowledge on. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh...
0: Do you have a least favorite episode? I mean <laughs> I I don't think I have a
3: specific one. I feel like almost any there's a few ones that most of the ones where the holodeck does something wacky I don't like when it's just
0: oh, yeah. <laughs> the, like kind of the Sherlock Holmes stuff, like the priority stuff. No, I want oh, to focus or like, or like on the, um, focus
3: on the now and the future. <laughs> I don't want to focus the, on a holodeck now? gone mad and taking over the ship. It happens in every series. And it always feels like plot filler to me. Like, they're like, we don't have a unique idea this week, so... Well, we the hologram's
0: gotta... always, always misused. Like, in yeah. DS9, Quark tries to always use it, of course, it's like, a fuck suite. Yeah, yeah. And then in Voyager, the herojin come in, and, like, you know, they put them through the year of hell by expanding the holo suite and the Imager's, like, out into the rest of the ship and, like, modifying them so they can, like, and or like that. Uh, I mean, the, the, the holodeck is the
2: entire basis... Uh, as we find out for the series Enterprise, right? It
0: took yeah. place
2: on the as holodeck on, that, yeah. on the Enterprise D, yeah. which the season finale was like. Oh, guess what?
0: Riker, uh, Riker's a chef. He's just hanging out. You know, he like, was. Uh, spoilers! J- Spoiler alert! That's He was,
2: he was just <laughs> observing. That's the whole series is yeah. him observing it.
0: <laughs> Who's recording all of this? And I know that it's. Co- I know that it's coded by like. Yeah with, you know, different parameters of, like, here it will introduce sounds and smells and all of stuff sudden they're stimulated at these times. But, like, how do they really know? There's got to be a lot of licensing there, you know? Like From
2: the logs, right? They could recreate it from good, the logs. How good
0: were those logs, though? Like, how much was, how much was uh, like, superfluous, you know?
2: But there's also that... There's also that Romulan technology where you can recreate events that happened in a space mm. so what if they went on the ship and they use that little you know that gadget that you can kind of like if you're not supposed to use it it's supposedly illegal in the federation
0: that uh well, a lot of they, the things things picard, they use it in picard they use it or not legal in the federation
2: well they use it in picard to go when they go yeah. to the apartment and they try to recreate right like well because yeah. of the,
0: it uses like chroniton technology or what have you or, yeah
2: it's supposedly you know, banned you don't yeah.
0: want to get caught by the time police no you don't want to be a janeway no Always always fucking with the timelines
2: Yeah no. Well I mean she ended up okay She ended up
0: She ended up great <laughs> Yeah She
3: ended up great It's like now that we have like Netflix and can watch them all at once Because like I feel like back in the day it wouldn't have mattered Because you're like oh yeah I forgot about that It happened six months ago or whatever I missed that episode And so those weren't as bad That's Like true Thirty years ago, but yeah, now it's like
0: I just watched that. Yeah. Oh, you said that the, your least favorite one was the uh, Beverly Crusher Ghostfucker. <laughs> I, 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 believe, I believe that's the actual title of the episode. It's Beverly I, Crusher, Doctor Beverly Crusher. My apologies. Uh, Ghostfucker. I
2: feel I feel less I feel less passionately against that episode. Okay. It does have uh, it does have some kitschy value to it. Yes. I think I think I the episodes that are my least favorite because I was just watching. Earlier today, some of the earlier, like season one, season two, any episode where they focus a lot on Doctor Pulaski, it, I don't, I just don't like that character. I don't
0: like Doctor Catherine Pulaski.
2: I'm gonna, I know that's, a, I know that that <laughs> is this is. a controversial opinion? Do you like Pulaski? Do you like?
3: I, I don't love. Well, she's and she's you know what? kind she... of boring. She's not there very long. And yeah, I, I like that. After TNG, they wrote more compellingly into the yes. Yeah. Now yeah. she was
0: a holdover, uh, not char- character-wise, but she yeah. was a holdover from the original series. Right.
2: Which, which uh, it looks—that's what she. Is cool. She looks like she's from the original right. series. Everybody else looks like they're next generation. She's also stripping
0: yeah. Riker's dad. Yes.
1: Um,
0: yeah. yeah, I believe that's what they call sex in the future. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've it's gone it's full perfect. circle back to Mel Brooks's childhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's funny because I was watching. For some reason, it came on a bunch. Uh, but the episode yesterday's Enterprise, where the Enterprise C mm-hmm. appears, yeah. and then it changes the timeline. Yeah, Castillo. Um, Shooter. I think that. I think that future. If there was like a United Federation, if it did get that far, I think the future where we just fuck up and we're at war with somebody. I think that is way more likely than actual. Like, oh, we actually, you know, we were able to diplomatically frame it a certain way and like. Yeah, I think I think it would be more likely that we just, even if we did get some aliens, to get on our side, which would be really hard. I think because uh, we're so devious.
0: Uh, I wouldn't trust us. Yeah, I would say we're more like Ferengi than the. Yeah,
3: well, Ferengi's kind of represent Americans, right? <laughs> yeah. like capitalists.
0: Oh, yeah, it's definitely well, a hyper-capitalism. Well, it's yeah.
3: hard, because we don't... I mean, to get to a United Federation... Like, we don't know what other species would look like out there anyway, and so it's like, if Star Trek... Yeah, direct, if they're even humanoid, you know, right. If, uh, yeah, yeah. And so it's... that part's hard. That. But I mean, for there to be just, like, anything like that... I mean, no. it's... We're very far away from it right now. <laughs> but I mean... Yeah,
0: we, which kind of sucks, right? Because, like, you have all of this science that's somewhat coming to meet science fiction mm-hmm. part of the way, and, like, it'd be super rad, but we're also in, like, an aging building in a city with crumbling infrastructure and, like, a horrible mental health, like, and, well, and, and like, public works and services uh, track record. Well,
3: this is a TNG episode, but the Deep Space 9 episode where they, like, go the back riots. to 2020. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just watching it. It's, like, so. the shit of, like, the, and it's Funny how kind of close they were to what things look like in cities It takes, it takes place today. in twenty twenty four. Yeah, which is like. And, and they even right they now. even have
0: the term sanctuary city, which is what they were doing at one point uh, for dreamers and immigrants in, in California cities. Yeah, like and so they San Francisco.
3: Cordon off anyone yeah. who's mentally. Sorry, Ill. I, forgot to tell, I forgot to tell you,
0: yeah. you guys to bring your tinfoil hats. Yeah. <laughs> forgot about that part. And
3: yeah, just like anyone who's mentally ill or unemployed has to be like quarantined away from the rest of society. And then there's, like, a huge, like, uprising situation, but, yeah. Mm. It's just, like, so Mm. funny watching that, because they're like, oh, wow, what's wrong with that man? And Bashir's like, oh, he has schizophrenia. They have a treatment for it, but he can't have it. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what we're doing now. So it's like, but that It
0: it was a jab. Yeah, it was a definite jab at, like, the the current.
3: That was in, like, what, 1993 or something? And so it's like, ooh. Unfortunately. But, like, it's kind of pointing to in that episode there has to be like a major uh conscience and priority shift for anything resembling yeah. that universe to happen where it's just like yeah everyone's instead of you know focusing Post, on profit whenever it's everyone's focusing on learning and exploring and yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and that, that's like the weirdest, that's why I always think the weirdest argument, like people who are super indoctrinated into capitalism or just like our way of life, the American way of life, they're like, oh, where's the incentive in socialism or communism for people to like even make art or this, the that. that. And I was like, dude, do you know how much beautiful stuff people would be doing and making if we didn't have to worry about like doing a nine to five for no reason? Like there are so many things that we can automate so that we can make our lives better. Right. And that we wouldn't have to exploit each other or our physical labor force, right. uh, and, and like, because we have the capacity to be relatively post-scarcity. I mean, we have yeah. the resources. Yeah, you know, it's not like we're hurting for resources. Yeah, I would never ever. And like you were saying, Chris, in so your you know it's sixty years, you're like, do I care? <laughs> you know, like, I kind of feel that. I, I definitely sorry. feel it. Like, because, uh, like, you know, the, the people who are in power right. Who are going to make those decisions that are going to change the course of business and consumption over the next 60 years yeah. do not have this do not share our mindset do not do, do not care about the planet as a whole um
2: i will yeah, i will point out the beginning
0: i will
2: i will point out that star trek sets the beginning of the space exploration and let's explore and put all our differences aside the beginning of that is after what they term as World War III. There's been a nuclear annihilation of a lot of the planet, yeah, that's and the true. Vulcans come down and make first contact. Yeah. So
0: we have a. Thanks, thanks a to according a, to Star to Trek. A boozer. Thanks yeah. to a boozer. Oh
2: yeah. Thanks yeah. to a boozer. So, Zaphod so Cochran.
0: That's that's a good. So it's we, we, first, have a, it's, we have a we have a ways
2: first, to go. First contact. Your favorite movie. I would, I would definitely say that's, yeah, that's probably my favorite. Generation second yeah. is a very close second because I, I love Generation. I mean, who can't love Generation? Data sings a song zero. in that because he's got his emotion chip. <laughs> that's true. He sings a song yeah. about life forms. But sensors can't penetrate the planet's ionosphere. There's too much interference. Can you find a way to scan for life forms? I would be happy to, sir. I just
1: love scanning for life forms. Life tiny little life forms
0: oh, you precious little life forms where are you? We both said that we don't necessarily like Nemesis. No. I think it's okay. It's okay. It's not the best one. Generations, I would say, is my favorite one. Marisha, do you, do you have a favorite movie? or?
3: Um... Yeah, well, I I've seen all of the movies, but I have not watched them as much as the shows. Um, and I have not watched them recently. But first contact, I do like remember just the total excitement of like seeing that one in the in the movie theater. I was so excited. I was like nine years old, and I just remember like being like amazed by like seeing all of it on the big screen. And so that it, it, was, it was I, I think maybe holds a special spot. I bet it's, like, it would be a fun. big memory. You know,
0: I would love to do an IMAX. You know, like double feature
1: mm-hmm.
0: of like all good things, and then a movie. Uh, that would that would be rad. Maybe maybe at the Mission Theater, um, McMinnimans I'm sure it would be Mc- amenable. To um, <laughs> all right.
2: Well, yeah. now it's off the table because yeah, you said that. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, now now they will stop taking my calls, <laughs> uh, which, of which there were many. I, I, mean, I think, I think that we're going to have to go through a pretty intense calling. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. call it a calling because I think that our alien overlords are going to be a. Just like in the film in the Bible, they're going to cleanse this earth of humankind.
3: It's hard. I, I mean, change happens gradually, obviously. Mm. Every generation's better than the one before it. And so, mm. like, hopefully, eventually. <laughs> think, well, maybe not every, but usually that's how it works. And so, you know. Well, we're coming up with that 250-year sweet
0: spot. Yeah. That average of... Because some last longer, Mm -hmm. some don't last very long. Mm -hmm. Are you talking about when empires crumble? Yes. Mm.
2: Yeah, a lot of people have been making a lot of comparisons between uh, the United States and the Roman Empire. That's like, like, every every week there's a new article about like, here's I'm, how United States and Roman Empire are the same, thi- we're on the same path.
0: I would have thought that Trump would be like the Nero watching, you know, like fiddling while well Washington, D.C. and the Capitol burns. Uh, but I guess we'll just get, we'll, we'll see if Joe makes it. We'll if, if he makes it to oversee the...
3: He might not make it to the know. end of the day
0: he's old yeah. yeah he might not make it up the stairs uh <laughs> you know who, who knows
2: i mean as far as going to the stars he hasn't said a, he hasn't said a single thing about the space force yeah. so yeah what's up with that space i would force. i would love uh, that's I, uh, our Starfleet right now <laughs> is the space force yeah
0: and i can think of no person uh, <laughs> more well-equipped to lead it than steve carell i, I yeah. think that he should lead it in real life
2: did that joke get canceled
0: I think so. I, th- yeah. I think it, it came back for another season, and then it's not coming back for a third. Um, but that's okay. Uh, we can we can still enjoy the Orville, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they'll never stop giving Seth MacFarlane shows. No, that's the deal he made with the devil on 9/11. Mm-hmm. The, 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 oh the de- yeah,
2: he missed his flight. Yeah, I Forgot about like, that. He's
0: like, you could sleep in and hang out and miss this flight and miss 9/11, and make- but I, I maybe you're still gonna go ahead and eat that song. <laughs> That sweet, sweet Seth MacFarlane soul. Because he was also in uh, um, Enterprise, right? Yes. Yeah, I believe so. He was in an episode of Enterprise. I believe so. He's everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Um, So is Ben from Parks and Rec. He was in Adam Scott. Adam Scott. He was in uh, Voyager, right? No, I think he was in one of the movies. Yeah, he,
3: he is also someone that pops up all over.
0: I think wasn't it, I think Sarah Silverman was on Voyager, right? Sarah Silverman was on Voyager. Yes, huge crush of mine, major crush. Um, so where can, where can we hear you perform next, for each other? Like uh, you you have a mic at Growler's Tap Room with Daniel Porter. Oh
3: yeah, and I have two monthly shows: one at Curious Comedy Theater, vibe comedy, and one at Like and Brewing. Uh, sorry, not sorry, but I'll, I promote everything on my Instagram. So.
0: Cool. Well, you can check those out on her Instagram. That's Maricha Hoprich. You can rewind the interview for the spelling. <laughs> um, Chris, uh, we're obviously we're here at the at the Cattons.
2: Yeah, Cap Cap Capin uh, on Wednesdays. But I also I have some fun. I got some fun things in the works that are coming up. Some fun new. Showcase. Well,
0: you can you can check those out. I'm sure on your Instagram as yes. well at Crease. Hey, thanks for joining okay. me. I appreciate it. It was fun.
2: Yeah, thanks for. I'm always down to talk Star Trek, TNG. Nice. Same. This is reignited.
0: I
3: started watching it again this week. I'm like, rewatch the whole series again. There you go. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there, there are worse ways to spend your time. So, for sure. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And worse series in Star Trek to spend your time watching. That's for sure too. <laughs> Enterprise. I'm I'm calling you up. Ooh, shots. There's that shot fired. Ooh. All right, there it is. The card season two. The card season two. March.
3: Ooh. Beginning
0: of March. Yeah. Awesome. Check That's that out. Like
3: in a couple
0: Yep. Yeah. Thanks again to Maricha and Chris for meeting up and talking Trek. I always find it interesting what people like and dislike about Star Trek, but particularly about TNG, since it sets the tone for almost all new Trek and pushed the boundaries of topics you typically see on television. There are concepts regarding gender identity, sexuality and orientation, race, class and exploitation, sentience and individual rights, and much, much more. That's not to say that the show isn't flawless there are definitely some cringeworthy scenes and premises that don't really track with today's social climate. But for what it's worth, I think a lot of us find a home in TNG for the same reason at the end of the day, and that's because of the reflections of ourselves we see in the show where there may not typically be one in mainstream culture. With that being said, there is definitely an air of wishful thinking in the post-scarcity society depicted in the show, much like Picard's wishful thinking at the end of the show while in Q's court. I sincerely hope This is the last time that I find myself
1: here.
2: You just don't get it, do you, Jean-Luc? The trial never ends.
1: Q, what is it that you're trying to tell me?
2: You'll find out. In any case, I'll be watching. And if you're very lucky, I'll drop by to say hello from time time. See you out there.
0: This week's water cooler fact is more like an observation than a stone cold fact but it's still very much based in the evidence available from the four films in particular in that they are direct lineups towards Data's emotional discoveries, ultimate demise, and pseudo rebirth. It's in the movie Generations that Data finally integrates the emotion chip he salvaged from lore after he was dismantled. Data's integration of the chip goes less than ideal and causes problems throughout the course of the plot but not until we get to hear one of the greatest lines in Star Trek history. We see in First Contact and his interactions with the Borg Queen that he finds sensations and emotions more enticing than ever, but still keeps his loyalties with Captain Picard and Starfleet. However, that scene where he makes out with the Borg Queen is a very nice. Of course during the plot of insurrection despite malfunctioning in the beginning data recovers to become an integral part of the plan to protect the baku and their home world from the sona exiles who are planning to steal their metrionic radiation source there's a great story arc between data and a child named artem who is at first wary of data but becomes more accepting of him as time goes on and even teaches data quote how to be a child the last film concerning the tng cast is Nemesis, where we see Data's ultimate sacrifice in order to destroy the Reman flagship Scimitar, along with Shinzon and his army. And it's this plot that brings up so many thoughts and questions regarding sentience and the potential to just upload into another body, which is ostensibly what Data does with B4, predecessor to Lore and his oldest brother. Despite B4's less developed stage, Data downloads the sum of his knowledge and memories into B4. Now, it is certainly clear that he is not a direct facsimile, but I'm certain that if Before's positronic matrix is stable enough to process Data's digital imprint, then we may very well have a duplicate on our hands. Eventually. But you'll have to watch the Picard series to learn a bit more about how all that turned out. Here are a couple of easter eggs I noticed from the movies. In Star Trek Generations, Hikaru Sulu's daughter Demora Sulu is at the helm, Tim Russ, who plays Tuvok in Voyager, is an ops officer, which is interesting that he isn't a Vulcan in Generations because there's a story arc in another uh, episode where uh, he was an ensign during this time period in his first stint in Starfleet. Guinan was among the el refugees rescued from the gravimetric storm wave. Uh, they were fleeing after the Borg destroyed their homeworld, a fact revealed in TNG episode Q-Who, that's season two, episode 16. And we kind of already knew this but the movie definitely reinforces the idea that data's connection to spot is very touching and that data's tears are in fact orange much like spot in star trek first contact we see actor adam scott is on the defiant with Worf, which is an awesome cameo speaking of cameos the emh from voyager makes an appearance that's a crossover as well as ethan phillips who plays neelix in voyager he makes an uncredited cameo during the Dixon Hill sequence in the Hollow Suite, which is super awesome. You get to see Picard, like, unload an entire clip into a couple of Borgs while wearing a sweet-ass cream-colored smoking jacket. It's super awesome. And there's an episode of Star Trek Enterprise that sets up the creation of the Terran Empire, where instead of being inviting, Mirror, Zephyrin Cochran, and the Earthlings attack the Vulcans who land uh, during First Contact and steal their tech. That's Season 4, Episode 18, in A Mirror Darkly, Part 1. Moving on to Insurrection, uh, Frakes directed and gets the opening credit. Not quite Easter eggs, but they are some gems of scenes. Like, for instance, Worf gets a pimple. Data is a flotation device. Uh, This is easily the funniest movie. Riker shaves his beard. Uh, Picard dances the mambo. Troy asks Crusher if she's noticed that her boobs have started to firm up. And then Data asks Worf the same thing. Uh, glad to know that the term boobs has made it to the 24th century. And uh, Riker and Troy finally get together, and that starts the relationship that gets picked up uh, in Picard. And last but not least, we have Star Trek Nemesis, where Will Wheaton makes an appearance at the wedding scene, although he doesn't have any lines. And it seems as though Loxana Troy didn't make it either. Uh, the absence of Loxana Troy isn't clearly explained in the universe. However, since there was a second ceremony planned on Beta Z, uh, this one following Betazoid traditions, it would seem logical that Loxana was on Beta Z, busy making sure that everything was perfect for that ceremony. Admiral Janeway makes an appearance. Uh, she's clearly made it back from the Delta Quadrant by the time the events of Nemesis take place. Um, Enterprise and the Romulans collaborate for the first time, which sets up the events leading into the Picard series. And they do actually reactivate before the end of the movie, uh, who technically has all of Data's knowledge and memories. So uh, it is inferred that he will undergo supervision by Starfleet to enhance his overall cognitive abilities. Typically, I acknowledge sources for the material I use from various articles and threads. But this time, folks, it was purely the combined nerd knowledge between me and my wife. Uh, Thank you, Amanda, for always patiently listening to me go on about connections between series and characters and for actually knowing just what the hell I'm talking about. Next week's episode is in fact a first for Science Factual. We're covering a novel. Yes, a novel. Portland comedian and fellow nerd Jamie Carbone and I will be covering an Isaac Asimov classic entitled The Gods Themselves, which I am super excited to get into. You can check that episode out next Tuesday, March 1st from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. You can also check out past episodes on Mixcloud through the Shady Pines Radio app and on Spotify. Stay tuned here for a clip of Maricha Halprich at Helium Comedy Club here in Southeast Portland. She's super funny live, and I encourage you to go see her either at Helium or Growler's Tap Room if you get the chance, and follow her on Instagram. Kapla! Thank you. Thank you.
3: Yeah, I, uh, I have a weird name. Um, it's Maricha. A fun thing about having a weird name is that when I meet new people, they'll usually bypass small talk and just rapid fire personal questions at me right away. (laughs) My side of a typical introduction goes, my name's Maricha, it's Dutch. My dad's from Holland, but he lives in Canada now. My mom's an American, she lives in New York. They live in different countries because they're divorced. Um, It happened when I was a baby. Yeah, adding an unwanted child to an unhappy marriage kind of was the last straw, so. (laughs) I guess you could say it was my fault. (laughs) What's your name? (laughs) A uh, a couple, a little while back, somebody hit my parked car, which kind of sucked, but luckily he was honest about it, like he left a note, it's all good. Um, when I told my dad about what happened, though, he said that since I didn't meet the guy who hit my car, uh, I should really Google him on social media. Yeah, my dad's 75, so Google him on social media. And uh, find out if he's handsome, single, and about 35. Mm. Yeah, not, not quite at a point that I'm going to cyberstalk this stranger, but I feel like my dad's on to something, you know? Like, dating's really hard, but, like, there's a lot of cars out there, you know? <laughs> Maybe like next time, next time I'm at an intersection. There's like a cute guy next to me. I'll just side swipe right. Okay. <laughs> it's a Tinder joke. Yeah. The the fun part about doing that is he has to stop and talk to me, or he's leaving the scene of an accident. So. Uh, I'm also a a cat lady. I have four cats, which is, I I know, it's a lot of cats. All right, you guys like cats. A lot of people ask me why I have four cats, Uh, and the answer is I just kept getting cats until my mental illness was overpowered by the smell of urine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love my cats. One of my cats got sick a little while ago. I went to the vet. He has um, hyperthyroidism, and there's a treatment for it. It's called radioiodine therapy, and it has a strange side effect. Um, my cat is temporarily radioactive. Yeah. I know. It's, it's strange. Stranger are the precautions I have to take by, uh, for having a radioactive cat. Um, like, uh, for, uh, to protect sanitation workers, I can't throw away his litter box waste for 100 days. <laughs> I know. Also, for 100 days, nobody will fuck me. <laughs> it's like, uh, like, hey, you wanna, you wanna come back to my place? Don't mind the smell. I burned some popcorn earlier, and, I'm, <laughs> and i and and I'm storing 20 pounds of radioactive cat shit. <laughs> The, I'm not a very religious person. Um, I usually say that I'm agnostic, uh, which is short for trapped in a psychedelic-induced existential crisis. <laughs> I, I was raised Catholic, though, and I was homeschooled, so I had, like, a Christian homeschool education, uh, which I think was okay for most subjects, you know, like, math is unaffected by religion, like... You know, if there's one fish and Jesus turns it into 50 fish, like 49 miracles that day, you know. <laughs> my science education took a little bit of a hit, though. Uh, my, my first grade textbook asked, How do ants know to leave the colony, get food, and come back? And I'm sick. So I was like, uh, The queen tells them. And my mom said, No, God tells them. Yeah. It made sense to me, you know? Like, I finally understood why my kitten, Misty, was ripped apart by coyotes. <laughs> yeah. God couldn't save her, because he was teaching a million ants how to deconstruct a Ritz cracker. <laughs> it, was, it was cool, too, because, like, after that, science was just, like, a creative writing class, you know, like... Um, <laughs> Uh, what's gravity? Oh, Satan pulling me away from heaven. <laughs> uh, why does it rain? Oh, the angels are, are weeping because I lusted after Data. <laughs> <laughs> the android from Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, it was my first crush. I was homeschooled. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. <laughs>